to back. So we're on week three here, and this is going to be the very first miracle that the Christian church performs. Now, obviously, when Jesus was here and the disciples were with Jesus, there were miracles, but this is going to be the first miracle that's done in the church, kind of, sort of. And we're going to talk about that today. But before we get there, and give me just a minute of grace here. I know some of you like, love this stuff, and some of you hate this stuff. If you hate this stuff, just give me a little grace here. Uh, but for all of you theology wonks, uh, the, <clears throat> the Jewish rabbinical tradition has a different way of doing exegesis than what we teach today. Exegesis is just a very fancy word, which means study of the scriptures and interpretation of scriptures. So the Jewish exegesis, which dates back before the time of Christ, you know, so a thousand, two thousand years before Jesus was born, this is what came up. So the, the rabbis then teaching, and we don't know if this was handed down from Moses and Aaron, but it kind of dates all the way back there. There's four levels to scripture. The first thing is, and there's actually a little tiny acronym called parties, you can remember these with if you are so inclined, but the first one's the Peshat, and the Peshat is just the surface teaching. This means, like if I was teaching on David going to fight Goliath, and he stops and he picks up five smooth stones, you say, well, what does that mean? Peshat says it means he picked up five smooth stones. It's really simple. It's like what you see is what it means. Um, it's important, though, because the rest of the layers cannot contradict that layer. It can never, like, break that layer down. Like, though this, you saw this, but that doesn't mean that. It always means at least that. And then there's the other things on top of it. Remez is hints or deep allegorical meaning. Like, for instance, and I don't even know if this is true. I'm not preaching on this. But maybe the, the teacher would say something like, he picked five stones because that's like a fist of God. You know, it's an allegory, right? That's what an allegory is. So that's that level. And the Duresh level is basically something a little bit more like a moral, right? Like, for instance, he picked five stones even though David had faith and probably knew he only needed one, but he picked five because you should always be prepared, right? It's something like that, you know, kind of a moral story. What we want to get to, what we pray for every week is this, which is, it's, it's pronounced sod, not sod, but sod, which is basically a mystical meaning. This is a meaning that can only be revealed by God. You know, this is like every week I think my job. I don't think I hit it every week, but this is my job to try to bring you this because I think you can get the first three without me. Just buy a good book on, you know, scripture and do your own little Bible study. But we're praying for deeper meaning here. We're praying for something that we can take away that's a deep spiritual meaning. If you watch how Jesus preached and how you know, Paul preaches and Peter, they hit this like every time. They're picking up stuff from scripture that no one saw before. And that's revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. But sometimes it's just so much fun to just read it as a story. That's kind of what we're doing today. This is, um, this is my, one of my favorite stories from the book of Acts. I don't know, that, what, even when I was a kid, there's something about this particular story always kind of make my heart leap. And uh, So you guys probably know, when I, was in, when I was in Sunday school, we had a song about it called Walking and Leaping. Some of you may have learned that song and prayed. So this is kind of, you probably know the story already, but let me go through it real quickly. So Peter and John are going to pray at the temple. This is about three o'clock in the afternoon. They call it the ninth hour in some of your King James versions. So, so three o'clock temple, they would go and they would pray. So that's what they're doing. They're going there to pray. And as they're walking there, you get this kind of scene where they're, they're walking. There's these people are carrying a lame man past them. And they set him up by this thing called the beautiful gate. Now, we don't know exactly where that is. There's theories. None of that matters. But he was brought there, and he was brought there every day by these people. He could not walk at all at all. And he was born that way. So from birth, this was his life. He was carried in to sit there and beg. Now, let me explain to you how begging was done in those days. It's a little bit different today. You know, today you stop off at the red light or something, people walking up and down the street. That's not how it was done in those days. He would be sitting there, and he was lame, so that's all he could do. And he would have a blanket, 
called beggar's blanket or beggar's carpet. It's kind of a very thick-napped sort of thing and very thick, and he would, he would set it out in front of him. And the reason for that is because people don't go up and hand beggars money, not even today much, but in those days never, uh, they would throw it. And they wanted this blanket to be able to catch it so the coin wouldn't bounce off. You know, that'd be a dirty, rotten trick. The coin bounce off and a lame guy has to crawl for it. So he would set that up. Blind people would do this too so they could hear the jingle. Now, you would probably salt it, is the expression you would use. means you put a couple things in there. Any of you musicians who've ever played for tips, you know you do this. You put the tip jar, you put a couple bucks in there to let everybody know it's okay to put money in there, right? So he would probably salt it with a couple coins, and he's sitting there begging, and that's what he's doing. So he's all set up. He walks past them, and he's, and he's put up there uh, in order to beg. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he calls out asking them for money. Now, we have no idea if he knows who they are. Uh, that he may have just been calling out to them because they're entering the temple. You know, people who are going in to pray and ask God for something are more inclined to give money to beggars. It's one of those things that probably shouldn't be true, but is. I'm getting ready to ask God for something. Maybe I should give a little, you know? And so that's kind of a good spot to be, and he's learned. This is his job. This is all he does in life is beg. And uh, so, you know, Peter looks right at him. Now, the, the scriptures like the, the scriptures used here is this is the New International Reader's Version I'm showing, but he looks right at him, directly at him. And as soon as he does it, John does too. They both stare at him. This is unusual. People don't usually look right at people who are begging, do we? I mean, come on, let's be honest. We see beggars. We don't look right at them. We kind of look past them. And we even know they're there. Even if we're going to give them money, we don't look right at them. We don't make eye contact, right? We just kind of come up and put it in there. And he's not making eye contact either. He's calling out to them. He's not looking at them because he knows it makes people uncomfortable. But Peter and John suddenly pivot and look right at him. And I believe there's a reason for that. We'll talk in a minute. And then Peter took, look, the guy's looking down at the ground. He says, look at us. He's like, pulls his attention. This is like never done. They're going to deliberately make eye contact. I believe that Peter had a flashback to something that happened earlier with Jesus Christ. And I'm going to show you that scripture in a minute. And I think there was just something about him. He started thinking, wait a minute. This is an awful lot like that time with Jesus. And he gets excited. You can almost feel it in, G in, in Peter now. He just kind of starts getting a little bit excited because he knows that the power of spirit is present to heal. And so he kind of starts going right to him. And I love this because it means that he's so open to the spirit that when he sees anything, he starts moving towards it because that's how we should be. It should be our instinct to move forward. It should be the Holy Spirit's job to check us. It's like, I just want to do something, Lord, even if it's wrong. I want to do something. I always want to be in motion for you, Lord. I always want to do something. It should not be the Spirit's job to get us off our butts and get us moving. We should be, the Spirit should go, no, 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 wait, wait, hold up. The Spirit should be holding us back, not pushing us forward. It should be saying, no, no, wait, not there, because the Spirit does check them later. But here the Spirit lets him go because it's the Spirit's will for him to do this. So he, the man gives them their attention. And watch this. The Bible's clear, expecting them to give him money. So, of course, this guy's calling for me. What does he expect? He expects money. So he looks up expectantly. These people actually are calling him out. This is probably going to be a pretty good coin dropped on his blanket right now. And so Peter then says this, silver and gold I don't have. Isn't that what we always say when someone's begging for money, though? I don't have anything. I don't have anything. You don't even look in your wallet. I don't have anything. And you walk by. So it almost starts out like that, right? But Peter's looking down at his blanket. And this is interesting. He says, you know what? You got more gold here than I do because I don't have any. I have nothing. I have no silver. I have no gold. As far as the world's concerned, I am poor. More poor in terms of money than you are. But he says, what I do have, 
I'll give you. I have something precious that no one can buy, and I'll give you that. Right? So the, I don't know what the, what the guy is thinking at this point. It's happening. What's coming next? You know, what do you have that's better than silver or gold? And then, Paul, then Peter looks at him and says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. The song says, rise up and walk. It's better. The song, rise up. I like that. Rise up and walk. But nothing happens. He tells him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And he still sits there. Why wouldn't he? He has no idea what just happened. Peter's like, no, you've been healed. And since he doesn't believe him, Peter grabs him by the right hand and pulls him up. Now, this guy has shriveled ankles and feet. We're going to see that in a second. He can't support his weight. But Peter knows that he was healed. So he grabs him by the hand, he pulls him up. And as he does, the man's feet and ankles became strong. This is Luke writing, he's a doctor. He had to put that detail in for us because this is doctors, right? By the way, his ankles got healed right there. And then he jumped to his feet, he began to walk, and he went into the temple courts walking and jumping. Because isn't that what you would do? If you were lame your whole life and you thought you would be lame your whole life and all of a sudden, you know, you start walking and you start running a little bit and then you start jumping up and down. It's like, well, I can't believe this. He's leaping, he's jumping. He's like, wow, this is great. And he's praising the Lord. He's going in the temple. I'm going to point out something to you. And that is this man had never been inside the temple like that before. All the people who saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as a man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I'm going to get back to that, but he'd never been inside the temple before. He couldn't have been because he would have been seen as unclean when he, had, when he was lame. That was the teaching of the day. He was unclean, and the, the fact he was lame was evidence of his sin. He wasn't allowed in the temple. But now he's praising the Lord. He's jumping, he's praising the Lord and everything. And then I love what, the, what Acts 11 says. The man held on to Peter and John. He's like grabbing onto their cloaks. He won't let them go. Why? That's kind of, a, that's a little odd, but no, it really isn't. Because Peter and John had just showed him a truth about the world that he never knew before. See, he thought that his entire world was focused on his corner, right? He had his little spot by gate, beautiful. They probably would have fought for that. It's a good, that's a pretty prime spot. So he must have had some good friends to get him that spot. So he had his begging spot. And you know that even to this day, you'll certainly see certain beggars always in the same spot, right? They kind of come to this little, well, this is my spot. So he had his little corner there by the gate beautiful, which is a good spot because people look at the gate, they might notice you. He had his blanket. You know, he probably had a pillow to sit on, like some kind of cushion. And his whole world was right here. That was it. And what Peter did with one word, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ, he picked up that man and pulled him out of that small little tiny world and he gave him a view of a world that he had never known existed before. And this is something that he just couldn't quite wrap his mind out of. It was like that scene, you know, from the movie. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there like a splinter in your mind. This is what it was, right? That beggar was sitting there thinking something's wrong, but he couldn't put his finger on it. And all of a sudden, Peter showed him there's a world beyond what you know. There's a world that goes beyond your little blanket and your little corner. And what you're wanting from me was money, but that's not even your problem. Because you can only look at your little world. In your little world, you're a lame beggar, and that's all you're ever going to be. And so you want money because that's what lame beggars get. But God exists outside your world, and he has a vision beyond what you have. 
we get caught up in our own little corners of the world, folks. We have our little things that we're used to, and this is our world, and this is all there is. And we can't see anything beyond it because we're not looking for God to come and tell us, no, that's not your world at all. Because your world includes the spiritual world. When my son died for you and his blood covers you and there are angels and there is me and there's a spiritual battle going on for you, there's a world beyond what you see in your little corner and your gate and your rug. And yet sometimes it's like we go to God and we ask him for things in our little world. Could you fix my little world? Can you throw some gold in my little world? Because I don't want you in your little world. I want to ex- show you my world. So this man had problems. He had three problems. He had huge problems. One is he was lame from birth. That's a tough, tough row to hoe. He also had no job. Now, it wasn't like there was no Jerusalem uh, Disabilities Act that protected him and allowed him to have jobs, you know, counting money or something for the tax collectors and getting made. No, if you don't walk, you don't work, you don't work, you don't eat. He has one thing to do, and that's to be a beggar. This is a very bad time to be a beggar in Jerusalem because they have been conquered by Rome. When Rome conquered a country, they let you stay a country. That was big of them. They let you join the Roman Empire. That was big of them. But you pay tribute to the Roman Empire, which is a fancy word for taxes. Oh, and by the way, your king doesn't stop asking for his taxes. So your tax load doubles. It's a really bad time to be a beggar. People don't have a lot of money right now. It's a very, very tough time for a beggar. So that's hard. But the worst part, which he doesn't even consider, is the fact he wasn't allowed in the temple. He was completely cut off from hearing about God. Not that he would have heard about the right God anyway until Peter and John walked up. But he never even heard about all this stuff. He may, maybe his friends told him a little bit, but he never was able to go in for prayers. He was never to go in and, and have a priest offer a sacrifice for him. He wasn't allowed to hear scriptures being read to him from inside the temple. He had to try to listen from outside by the beautiful gate. He was completely cut off from God. It's kind of hard to figure out how to pray and get out of that situation when the only thing in the world, the only being in the world that can help you, you don't know anything about because you're not allowed in the building to find out about him. This is his situation. This is his little world. Now, I believe that Peter had deja vu moment here as he walked up there and he stopped and he saw him out of the corner of his eye. Because of couple years or maybe a year or year and a half before that he was with Jesus and something very similar happened. I'm coming over to John chapter 9 now. As he passed by, that was Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. So Jesus passed by and he sees this guy and his disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he would be born blind? Notice they're not asking him to heal the man. That's not even on their radar. They're walking by, they see a blind man, they want to know who sinned. That's all. We're going to continue to walk by like all good Jews do. He's unclean. But, you know, let's take this as an opportunity uh, to ask him, you know, who sinned. Well, why is that important? Because it's convenient for us if the fact we see people like that and all the problems in their world is because of their sin. That's convenient. It's much easier to write off somebody who's made their own mistakes, right? It's easier to not feel compassion for somebody who caused all these problems for themselves, and we want to do that as a church, too. We want to say, you know what? The problems are kind of theirs. You know, I didn't cause all those problems. They don't need my compassion. They don't need God's mercy. Let them confess their sins first, and then we'll get to that. It would be really, really nice if we could say all the things that bad that happen to those people in their lives are because of their sins. That would be great. But it's not accurate because the Bible tells us it's not true. The Bible tells us that is not the case. In fact, Jesus tells that to his disciples. 
They said, now who sinned here, Lord? Was it his parents or was it him? Somebody sinned. The man was born blind. And, and they were taught in that day that meant there was sin. So somebody sinned here. And Jesus says it was neither this man nor his parents. He was born blind so I could show you something really great and show you God's power in his life. And he says, I have to keep doing these kind of things while I'm here and because I'm, I'm the light of the world. And when he said this, he spits on the ground. This must have been weird for the blind man. Jesus walks up. He's waiting to hear the clink of coins. He says, here's Jesus spitting. And he spits on the ground. He makes clay of the spittle. He applies the clay to his eyes and said to him, go wash at a pool of Siloam. And so he went away and washed and he came back seeing. Now this is really cool in a way because the last time we saw the creator's hands touch clay is when he made Adam in the Bible. Now maybe, maybe Jesus touched clay before that, but the last time we saw the Bible talk about the creator's hands touching clay, he was making man to begin with. I think he manufactured an eyeball for the guy. I know how to make this. I've done this before. Six it in there. Go wash it off. Get the clay off. There'll be an eyeball there now. Right? Because Jesus knows how to work with clay. He knows how to do that. But he comes back seeing. And, and the same thing happens with him. It's going to happen with Peter's guy. All his neighbors go, wait a minute, is this the one who used to just sit there and beg? Yeah. Now, we talked last week about the great divide in the church between the two people's views, the two organizational views on the Holy Spirit. And we don't take either side. I believe they're both faulty. One is that the Holy Spirit's miraculous powers I'm talking about were given to them for a purpose and for a time, and it's now ceased to be on the planet Earth. And the Holy Spirit's still here, but doesn't do miracles anymore. That's one side. And the other side is on a completely opposite scale. They said, no, 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 no. We just need more faith, and we'll see all these miracles again. So both of those things. So what the, what the first group of people called secessionists would say is this proves our point because Jesus even said that I'm doing this miracle to show you the power of God. And so the miracles were signs and wonders to authenticate Jesus as a messenger from God. And I said this proves it. And it really frustrates me because to say that God only approves miracles to show his work is to ignore that God's most powerful work is displayed in his love for us. First and foremost, Jesus healed that man because he had compassion for the man. In the same way that when Jesus, when, when Peter goes up to the man who's lame to heal him, he's doing it because he has compassion for that man. That's first and foremost. God can use that to show you his power and his works, but he's doing it out of love for the people who need the help. And it's clear throughout the scripture. But I want to rewind back to the very first verse for a second because I never noticed this, I don't know why, until this week when I was prepping for the sermon. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples say, Rabbi, was it this man's sins or his parents? How can a man be sinful before he's born? Now, what a bizarre question that is. Is it, is it his sin or was it, or was it his parents' sin? Well, he was born blind. What did he do? How can he sin in the womb? What sin did he have in there, right? I, I, I just never really noticed it, but this was a teaching of the day. There's nothing, by the way, in scriptures about this. You won't find this in the book of Leviticus. But this was a teaching of the day that the babies born blind sinned before they're born, and that's why they're struck blind. What a strange way of looking at it. We want so far to distance ourselves from these people, we're making stuff up now. That's, a, that's the strangest, most bizarre thing I can think of. Some baby in a womb sinned. And so God struck him blind. That's bizarre. But this is how it happens, right? Where people are trying to come up with a reason for the, for the bad things in others' lives. 
Now, we're, we oftentimes do that so we don't have to get involved in their lives. They have reasons for everything that happened to them. I'm staying out of it. But we also do this for ourselves. When something bad happens to you, don't you ask why? Isn't that the first thing you ask? Why? Isn't it funny and peculiar, though, that we never ask why when something good happens to us? Like, we expect that. But, oh, boy, something bad happened. God, what's going on? You sleep at the wheel up there? What's happening in my life? I don't know what's happening, right? And so we're always looking for a reason. In our lives or somebody else's lives, something bad's going on there. Why? must be something bad. And we're always looking for a reason. But sometimes instead of looking for the reason, we should look for a purpose. Because sometimes the reason we're trying to look for isn't there. It's not like what we think it is. It's not as easy to figure out as that. Jesus says he wasn't born for, blind for a reason. He was born blind for a purpose. And that purpose is I'm going to show you my power in him right now. I'm going to show you what I can do right now. This man is born lame. Born lame. Same situation. That's why I think Peter had this deja vu moment. Like, wait a minute. Jesus healed someone like that. He may have been in the same spot for all I know. And Peter goes over there. He's excited, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this too, right? It's Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, yes because we're going to show God's power inside of there. And, and so that's really, really exciting. But we have to understand, as we start re- reading into more truth in the Scripture, that sometimes things happen to you not for a reason but for a purpose, that God has a purpose for it that he's going to use in your life. Sometimes that purpose isn't what you want. Sometimes that purpose isn't you're going to see healing that you're praying for or that the relationship's going to be restored, or this person stops bothering you, right? Sometimes that's not the purpose. Sometimes the purpose is harder to understand than that, and we're going to ask, ask God to explain it to us. This happened to Paul. He says, God has, showing, has shown me amazing and wonderful things. And it's true. I mean, Paul came up with ideas and prophecies, and he went, you know, he, was actually, he actually experienced heaven while on earth once, kind of like the Mom Transfiguration he talks about. So he had these amazing things that happened in his relationship with God. He says, he's shown me amazing things, but you should not think more of me because of it. And so I wouldn't become proud myself. I was given a thorn in my flesh that caused considerable pain. Now, theologians have debated what this thorn in the flesh is, and they still don't know. And I think that's deliberate. I think Paul deliberately did not tell us what it is because we have a tendency to categorize and forget things. Like some people believe it's astigmatism, so he couldn't see very well. Some people believe it actually was something that made it difficult for him to walk. Uh, Some people believe it was a stutter. You know, there's different reasons for all these things that people believe that from other things Paul says. I believe he doesn't tell us what it was because he doesn't want us writing it off to that. In other words, a thorn in the flesh is always a stigmatism. So if you don't have that, then this doesn't apply. That's, a lot of times the Bible's deliberately vague because it doesn't want to let us off the hook like that. There's something in him physically that's bothering him, and he's praying to have God take it away. That's all you need to know because I think we can all relate to that. Right? There's always something that we're praying. Uh, but he said it was actually sent from Satan to cause me to suffer. So that God didn't give this to him. Satan did, Right? He says, three times I begged the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is all you need. My power is strongest when you are weak, right? So he prayed three times and three times he got an answer. He prayed and he got an answer. And the answer three times was no, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take this away. I didn't give it to you, but I'm not going to take it away, whatever this is, because I want to teach you that my grace is powerful enough to overcome that with you. 
Because if I can do that, you'll become stronger. If you'll learn that you don't need to be all that physically in order for me to use you, I'll be able to use you more. This kind of makes sense for someone who will become the greatest missionary in the world. Because there are going to be times he doesn't feel good. And if we start thinking that we can only do God's work when we're on top physical condition, then we'll stop doing God's work when we're not feeling so well. And boy, does that give Satan ample opportunity to take us out of the game. Every little nag, nagging injury, we sit ourselves on the bench. So guys, I'm going to teach you that you don't need to be top physical, physical form for me to use you, whatever this was. And then Paul says, well, I'm very happy now to brag about how weak I am. I've, I've, I've re rethought this whole thing, and I think it's great that I'm weak because Christ's power then can rest upon me. And he goes on, he says this, because of how I suffered for Christ, I'm glad that I'm weak. I'm glad in hard times. I'm glad when people say mean things about me. I'm glad when things are difficult. I'm glad when people make me suffer because when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm glad for all these things. I don't see many Christians circling this one in their Bible and claiming that as a promise for our lives. <laughs> Give it to me, Lord. I want all these things. But that's what Paul said. He got to the point where he said, you know what, I'm okay with that. Whatever you need me to be, God, I'll be that So because I, I want to see your power on earth. I don't care about me. I'm going to see your power on earth. I want to jump back for a moment to our healed man in Acts chapter 2 or chapter 3. So um, he jumps to his feet. He begins to walk. He went to the temple walking and jumping and praising God, right? So what happened was he ends up in the temple praising the Lord, praising God for the first time ever. He wasn't allowed in there before, but now he's not any longer someone with this infirmary, infirmity so he can walk in there. And he can, he can connect with God. And, and what God really healed him for, what really God wanted to do, he wanted to have a better relationship with him. He said, they won't let you into my temple because of this infirmity? Well, let's get rid of that because I want you in my temple. I want you praying with me. I want to get to know you better. There are many things in our lives that are keeping us from God. Some things we know we need to get rid of and some things we selfishly hold on to. But that's what God's looking at in our lives. We spend all our time praying for all these things that we want that makes us physically stronger or better. We want to improve our little corner, whatever that is. You know, I need a better blanket to, be, to beg with God. You know, a better pillow to sit on would be really great too. And more donors to come by and drop on my blanket, that would be great. Just give me that and I'll be happy. Right? Maybe our corner's a little bigger than that. Maybe our corner would increase to include a bigger house or a better job, or, you know, better family members. Well, I'd be better off if I'd have these things, God. And we're praying for all these things. And God says, do you not even care? You're not coming with me into the temple and we don't get to know each other? Do you not care those things are keeping you from me? Does that not bother you at all? You just want me to make your little world better? You want a better blanket so you can beg better? I don't want you begging at all. I want you with me. I want you to enter into my world. Why are you wanting me to fix yours? And God's continually asking us to enter into his world. And we continually say, no, just fix mine. I'll let you in occasionally. But I want my world better. I want my corner of the world to be better. He's like, you know what? That's not what I want. Instead of praying over and over again for that one thing that we want to see changed, we probably should start asking God, okay, you're not changing that. What's the one thing that's keeping me from you? 
I'm going to stop praying for that because clearly this is like the thorn in the side that's not going to change. I want to know what is it in my life that's keeping me from you right now. I want to start praying against that. I want to see that changed. Now, in this man's case, that happened to be the same thing. (laughs) But it came out from a new angle. I want to bring you back into the thing. But in our lives, we may be praying for the wrong things. We may be praying for things that God doesn't see as important at all. But there are other things we're letting go that's keeping us from getting to know who God is. He says, that's what I want to see changed. When do you start praying for that? And we know that Paul learned that lesson because he comes back and tells us this in Philippians. He says, look, I know what it's like not to have what I need. I also know what it's like to have more than I need. By the way, Paul was rich before he became Apostle Paul. When he was Saul, he was rich, just so you know that. Pharisees did all right for themselves, and he was one of the top. He's very rich. He says, I know what it's like to have more than I need. I know what it's like to not to have what I need. I have learned the secret of being content no matter what happens. I'm content whether I'm well-fed or hungry. I'm content whether I have more than enough or not enough. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I've learned a secret. The secret is my circumstances don't change my Savior. My circumstances will not change who is Lord. My little corner of the world is small. None of that changes who God is. I have learned to be content with too much or not enough. He learned his lesson. And he went on, you know, to have this amazing thing. And we'll be talking a lot about Paul in the upcoming weeks. But I want to encourage you that if you've been praying for something in your life, a miracle or something that you need help with or something, and you're not hearing an answer, maybe shift your focus for a moment. Instead of asking him why this is happening to us, ask him, what's the reason? God, is there a reason why you need my attention right now? Is there a reason why... I'm focused on my little corner of the world instead of what you know is keeping us from each other. Show me that. Show me what's keeping me from you. And let's pray to have that taken out of my life. Because at the end of the day, it's all about the relationship with the Lord. We could pull it into his world. Our world will no longer matter. Would you all please pray with me?